So find your Bible and open it once again to the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 1. We've been certainly starting a series, concluding it today as it would be. Uh, four sermons out of James chapter 1 that is really uh, pregnant with truth on what authentic faith is to be about. And as we've looked at this text of Scripture together, we've talked about the authenticity to our faith oftentimes is relative to how you and I respond to the trials of life. They make us or break us. They can make us better. They can make us bitter. But truth of the matter is we all go through trials. We all deal through uh, with adversity. But how you and I handle those things becomes how we live our life of faith. So we're responding to trials it is a snapshot, if you will, of authentic faith. And then he talks about how we resist temptations. And, and uh, he says specifically uh, down in verse 12, Blessed is a man who endures temptation, for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no man say that he's tempted of God, but we're tempted when we're drawn away and enticed by our own carnal nature. So we are responsible people. Yes, we're tempted, but we have the privilege if we will depend upon the Lord, knowing that no temptation has taken us, such is common to man. God's faithful. He not allows to be tempted above that we're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that we can be able to bear it. I hope you're resisting the temptations of life. It proves the authenticity of our faith. Not only how we resist trials and, and certainly not uh, resist temptation and respond to trials, but how we also receive the truth. And just last week I talked about how we receive the engrafted truth which is able to save our souls. And we're to be quick to hear God's word. We're to be, we're, we're to be slow to speak and slow to become angry because the word of God is uh, our instructions for a life eternal and guides our life in all truth. And so I pray even today you've come with an anticipation, an expectation that you're going to hear from God. Because when we preach his word, guess what? That's when you hear from him. So God, give us attentive ears to hear and a desire to ap apply in our life the things that you're teaching us. So today I want to conclude because this chapter concludes about one last truth that's being communicated, not only how we respond to trials and resist temptation, receive the truth, it's how we refrain our tongue, how we, how we guard our speech. And so I'm going to read verses 26 and 27. This is going to be brief today, two verses. After all, how long could this take? I mean, come on. All right, stand in honor of reading God's Word. We're going to unpack just two verses today, and then we're going to let you go, hopefully blessed and ready to be doers of the word when you leave uh, the premises. Okay, verses 26. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Father, today, bless the preaching of your word. Thank you for every individual that are here today, most of whom have, uh, know you and the free pardon of sin, that now you indeed dwell in their hearts through faith. And I pray that they would be equipped for every good work, that they would be edified, they would be encouraged, they would be blessed, they would be spurred on to do love, to practice love, and to do good deeds because they came to your house today. So fill me with your spirit. Speak 
through me and speak to me as well, I would pray, Lord, that we all collectively might be found faithful, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Three things today we're going to be looking at. The first, in verse 26, what I'm calling the warning of deception. As we know, James is on mission to reveal this authentic faith. He's looking for what, uh, uh, to, to disclose to us what is genuine, what is biblical, what can be identified by personal demonstration. It's not something merely by superficial ideas. It's not just in benevolent behavior, and the word he uses here is religious, if there is those who believe they are religious. And so the way we often communicate one who's religious or religion is this, it is man seeking after God, as you well know, and often through what man himself can do. It's demonstrated by doing good works. Some believe that they're religious because they simply go to church. If they're a good neighbor, then they're a religious person or whatever it might be. But it's in that external demonstration of really what a man can do in himself apart from God. However, authentic faith, as you will know, is not what we can do for God, but what God has already done for us, what God has accomplished at the cross. You know, because whatever good we can do, you remember what Isaiah would say, our best are really in the sight of God like filthy rags. And so there is a lot of deception with religious people. And remember what Jesus would say of those who were most religious in his day, the Pharisees. He said, yes, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So the simple difference is this, religion is man's pursuit of God and Christianity is God's unconditional love for mankind, how he pursued us, he purchased our redemption and he has sealed us by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So now James is given a litany of expectations for those who have authentic faith. And that's what we've been looking at as we walk through chapter 1. Things relative to, to how we deal with the trials of life. And if we're willing to resist temptation. And, and how we respond to the teaching of God's Word. And today you'll have opportunity to see how strong and authentic your faith can be. When you hear the Word preached, do you have a consciousness of what it's saying? Are you willing to do something about it? And that's what he's saying here. We're to be doers, not hearers only. And here he's talking specifically about guarding our speech. How, how the words that come out of our mouth always tell on us. He uses the word bridling the tongue or controlling one's tongue. It's a present tense verb which means this. This is not uh, something just that happens occasionally or once for all time. Look, this is an ongoing practice and he relates the problem with our speech and he ties it intrinsically to our heart. Proverbs 4, 22 and 23. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it come the issues of life. And the next verse says, so put away a deceitful mouth and keep uh, perverse lips far from you. You remember in Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, here's what defiles a man. It's got nothing to do what these Pharisees were claiming his disciples were doing. And that was their, they didn't wash their hands before they ate. He said, here's what defiles a man. It comes from within. And then he said this, out of the heart comes 
evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder, thievery, deceit, lewdness, blasphemy, pridefulness, and foolishness. And so James is saying here, really the heart of the matter of authentic faith is a matter of the heart. Manifest in one speech. Real religion, tried and tested, genuine faith. Guess what it does? It speaks words that edify, that encourage, that bless and do not curse. They do not tear down. They do not spew gossip and lies and bitterness and certainly blasphemy. And this text indeed says, if this is not our constant speech, there may be a problem bigger than our language. It may be a problem of the soul. 1 Peter 3.10, listen while I read. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. From speaking deceit. And so we're talking here about a warning of being deceitful. You know, one of the things, you'll remember this, and I don't know if they still do this or not, uh, but, but they used to go, I, I remember when I was uh, uh, young, that you'd come in and you maybe you had a cold or you had some symptoms, sore throat or something, and they would get a tongue depressor and they'd say, stick out your tongue. Remember? And they'd put a tongue depressor and they'd look in your mouth to see something. I don't know exactly what they were looking for, but they were getting some kind of diagnosis by, by looking at your tongue. And really, that's what's going on here spiritually in this text. James is simply saying, through a diagnosis of the tongue, authentic faith is, faith is evidence in, in the kind of speech that we have. If we're truthful, if it's God-honoring, if it refrains from cursing and slandering and embellishing things for our own personal benefit... You know, I, I, countless times over the years, I've gone to the golf course. Maybe the group I played with wasn't going to play, and I had some time, so I went out there to, to play golf and get picked up uh, maybe with a, a group that I didn't know, and they didn't know me, and oftentimes playing with a friend who was playing. We got put with a four, uh, uh, two other guys that we didn't know as well. Well, as does happen oftentimes in doing any sports or anywhere you go, it's it's – probably second hole and, you know, a missed putt or a, a, a bad shot, you know, and the cursing begins, you know, and, and so here we go, you know, and so I, if, if we don't get to about third or fourth hole and I've had a chance to tell them I'm a pastor, I'm willing to do it by then. And, <laughs> and inevitably, it was the same routine. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm so sorry, you know, I, if I, I would have known, I, you know, blah, 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 you know. But I'm telling you, their tongue had already told on them. But I did appreciate that they at least want to quit while I was in their presence, you know. But, but that's just reality. And sometimes we need to realize that you and I, whatever, wherever we find ourselves, we're always in the presence of God. And we need to speak like he is ever with us because that's the reality of it. So that's a warning of deception, he says. And then he goes on to talk about what I'm calling the words of destruction the words of destruction. And really, as you know, other than the book of Proverbs, certainly in the New Testament, one who deals with speech and the tongue more than anyone else is James. And he writes in chapter 3 about the untamable tongue. Who can tame the tongue, he says? No one can except God himself. And I know, I, I will guarantee you, in your life, if you had a habit of foul language, when God got your heart, all of a sudden that, that language changed. It's the way it works. It's true in our lives. 
But he's talking about here in chapter 3, as you remember, about the tongue. And, and, and he specifically uh, is talking about uh, uh, how these, the tongue can be destructive in nature. How it is, uh, and he likens it to fire. Essentially how a small spark can set a whole forest ablaze. And we've seen that oftentimes. Man, just this past year, wasn't it, these California fires that just burned uh, uh, entire uh, communities up because it was a fire, a raging fire out of control. And he likens that kind of, uh, uh, of catastrophe to uh, us whose who, who speech can be out of control. You know, every time I think about a fire that burns out of control, I, I think about the great Chicago fire of 1871, burned down most of the downtown. It was an inferno that burned from October 8th to uh, October 10th. 300 were killed, millions of dollars in damage. 100,000 in Chicago left homeless. 17,000 structures in ruins. And, and, and believe that Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern and set the whole city ablaze. It was an inferno that burned four miles wide and uh, 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 in a mile, a mile in, in uh, a, uh, a mile by four, I should say, or how that would be best communicated. And James is saying that's exactly what can happen. That's how things happen when a person's speech gets out of control. It's destructive oftentimes. And I'm telling you, it doesn't take too much speech that's out of control, sour things being said, verbal attacks being made that can imprint a person's life that they never get over what somebody said. And that's the critical nature of speech. You know, I, I say this, ever who said sticks and stones can break my bones but words can never hurt me, hadn't been around very long. Words do hurt. They harm they can kill a reputation. They can destroy a person's self-worth. It's not surprising when the Ten Commandments were given to Moses all the way back in the book of Exodus. He said, we're not to bear false witness against our neighbor. Mark Twain one time said, a lie can travel halfway around the world before truth can put its shoes on. How true it is. James is declaring lies, deceitfulness, untruths, bad language is toxic. They're destructive, they're hurtful, and they are a world of iniquity is what he says. And then he moves to a different metaphor here and he likens it to poison in, in verse 8. He says, no man can tame the tongue, it's unruly evil and full of deadly poison. How in the world can we bless God the Father and curse men who's been made in the image of God? For out of the mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be. And as surely as James says they destroy, words have the power, he goes on to say, to direct our lives. The spoken word does. And he uses a metaphor of a bit in a horse's mouth or how a rudder guides an entire huge ship. He said, so it is with the tongue. So here's the summary. Words are powerful. They can be used for the good and right in positive ways. However, conversely, they can ruin a person's reputation by spreading lies, embellishing the truth, fabricating things that are not simply so because we have a vendetta against someone else and we want to be hurtful to them. I had a disgruntled church member, this has probably been 20 years ago, that was on mission to defame me to discredit me, to ruin my reputation. 
Honestly, it was because of his own anger issues and my intolerance of his hurtful and harmful and toxic behavior in the church. And he did his best to ruin, his, to ruin my reputation and to discredit the church and the ministry we had there. Here's what I'm saying. You know, especially as a minister, all I've got is my word. <laughs> I'm no better than the integrity that I have. My honesty, my truthfulness, my reputation. And when someone defames my character, I will just tell you it's hard to vindicate yourself. Oh, I'd like to say, well, why don't you consider the source of what's being said? But here's what I know. People don't know what they don't know. I tell you, that, that's powerful right there, isn't it? <laughs> People don't know what they don't know. I can't run, you can't run around and tell them and say, well, he, he's always lying about something. Not surprising he's lying about me. All this to say our words and language reveal a lot. You know what God's Word says? Let's let our speech be seasoned with salt, always with grace, that we might know how to answer every man. Let it be tasteful. Let it be gracious. Let it be kind. Let it be overflowing with the Spirit of God that dwells within us. Let it be loving and kind and peaceful and patient and faithful. All the things that's expected of us. You know, I immediately thought of that passage. It was Isaiah's call experience. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, he has this faithful encounter with God. He sees God there exalted, highly lifted up, sitting on the throne. The seraphim are surrounding the presence of God, declaring, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And suddenly the, 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 the temple doors were shaking and smoke filled the room and, and, and all of this wonderful glimpse of who the Lord God is himself. And when Isaiah, after he has a look at God, remember what he does immediately? He begins to confess his own sin. And his sin specifically when he said this, I am a man of unclean lips. I am a man of unclean lips. You know, I've often wondered what did he actually mean he was a man of unclean lips. You have to wonder, had he been a liar? Did he tell a lie? Was it a slanderous remark that he made? Was it a hurtful rant? Was it some foul language that maybe he used? Could it even been some kind of blasphemy against God himself? But here's what I do know. When he saw God as he was, he saw himself as he was, and he knew he was caught and he knew that there was something about his speech that just wasn't right. And then he began to confess the same sins for the people of God. I dwell in a country of men of unclean lips as well. And just as that confession led to his cleansing, so it is with you and I. What's the Bible say? If we confess our sins, he'll be faithful and just to forgive us. He'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know what that word confess means there? It's, it's the Greek word homo legeo. Homo meaning same. Legeo meaning logos, words. We're saying the same words about our sin that God has already said about our sin. And when we come into agreement with God about the sinner that we are, guess what? He, he forgives us through honest and truthful confession. What of our lips, of the words that we use driven by a right heart. Let me quit with this. We see a warning of deception. 
We know there's words of destruction, but he concludes this thought on uh, verse 27, when I, what I'm calling the witness of our devotion. Because he says now, as he completes chapter 1, he says, there's a warning not only against the deception and destruction of speech, but how hurtful and harmful it can be. He unveils what real religion is. It's authentic faith, isn't it? We know that. Pure and undefiled religion. Here's what it's about. It's demonstrated, and he uses three short phrases. One, visiting orphans, caring for widows, and keeping oneself unspotted from the world. So genuine faith is not simply that we have believed the right doctrines, that we've agreed with orthodox tenets, but we have been changed and transformed by a devoted heart that's producing something in our life. Fruitfulness and faithfulness. And he declares it's life that cares for others. Visiting those in need, particular orphans and widows. As you well know, these two categories were obviously the most vulnerable in all of the culture in the world, often destitute, the weakest who simply could not care for themselves, who had been orphaned or someone who had been widowed. And so our first devotion, here's what it's telling us, this simple, we must care. We must care. And sometimes I think we feel like if we have a heart of compassion And we feel the right way about some things that that's enough, but it's not. That's not what this epistle is revealing. It is right belief, it's right feelings, but it's fleshed out in a way that results in right behavior. In the 26 years I served at at Lenexa Baptist Church, I can't tell you the countless visits that I made to the hospital, nursing homes, rescue missions, every kind of hands-on ministry one can possibly do. For nine of those years, I was the only person on staff. If somebody was going to do it, it was going to be me, and that was okay. It was good to do that. As the church began to grow, I couldn't be everywhere. And certainly we had a staff, but I developed what we called uh, LBC Cares. I put that out there, and I said, I'm looking for some people that would be willing to do these very things we're talking about visit the widows, care for the orphans, visit those in nursing homes, those that cannot get any personal touches uh, uh, except if we with intentionality do it. It's still going strong now. This has got to have been 15, 20 years where people hands-on are going and making a difference. Listen, I'm to equip the saints of God to do the work of ministry. And I'm talking to some people that already have a heart to do ministry. And today, through the preaching of God's Word, I just want to tell you to keep on keeping on. Keep making the touches. Keep having the compassion. Keep doing the caring. It it, it expresses a, a right faith, an authentic faith that cares for people. We're to shepherd the people of God, not just by the the shepherd, the under-shepherd that's been called to be a pastor of this church, but the people of God. We're to bear one another's burdens, and when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. You know what that law is? You know, it's the unconditional love that Jesus has for every one, but especially to those who are in need. It's the law of love. And indeed, our faith isn't merely seen by what we don't do, 
but it's what we're willing to do. You, you follow me? You know, some people, it's, it's rule book religion with them. Man, they got a list. Well, I don't do that. You know, I don't do that. You know, I don't do that. I don't do that. Let, let's talk about things. Quit talking about things we don't do. Let's start talking about some things we do. And certainly the least of which is not. We, we care for people. We're, 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 we're honored that we can be the hands and feet of God. We're now operating in His body as the church. Let's care. And then finally, he says, this real religion is not only what you're doing, it is in essence who you are, and you're to live your life unspotted from the world. Keep oneself unspotted. The book of Romans is such a rich theological book, and you've got 11 chapters there that are rich in theology, and there's a transition in chapter 12. You know this. Verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. And then quickly he says, and don't be conformed to this world. Don't be, don't, don't be like the world at large. Don't let the world shape you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may do the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. But I say to, the, to, to everyone who's among you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think soberly as each man has been dealt a measure of faith. Paul is saying this after giving us all this theology. He's saying, look, don't look like the world looks. Let's be different than the world. Let's be people of integrity. Let's be people who walk in uprightness and truth. Let's be people who shun what is evil and cling to that which is good. And I'm just telling you today, if we will live our lives sanctified and set apart, we'll always have to guard against being a part of the world in which we live. I tell you, this is a crazy, cruel, politically correct day in the 21st century where we find ourselves. A world that calls evil good and good evil. We live in a day and time that's anti-God, anti-faith, and anti-Christ. And I don't know all the difference we can make, but I'm telling you, we got to be salt and light in that culture and not look just like that culture. It's not surprising the Apostle John would write, look, love not the world, neither the things are of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, it is of the world. And the world is passing away in lust thereof. But he who does the will of God will live forever. He said, don't just fit in the world. Be set apart. So how do you measure up there? Be walking in honesty and integrity and truth. Making a difference in anybody's life. So many people in desperate need of a good word to be spoken to them to bear their burden, to undergird them with a little love, to pray for them. Let your speech give indication that your heart has met the Savior. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, we thank you for the privilege of opening the Word today. and. To be reminded once again of the practicality of the Word of God. It's quick and alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray today that, that we would hear and do. I thank you for these wonderful people that 
that I know collectively is Hoffman Town Church, yet they live their individual lives and they do their individual ministries as they go their way. And I pray that we could light up some dark places and make a difference in somebody's life. So help us to bear burdens, not to flee from those that are in tremendous need, but help us to run to them and help make a difference. So, Lord, I would pray today, now during this invitation, I pray that if you've spoken to some individual lives and hearts today, that they would respond. If you're calling them to publicly come and make a decision, maybe just for prayer, maybe just to share a burden with one of our counselors, maybe to solidify a decision that has only been made in their heart but hasn't been expressed We think of the words of Jesus who said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. If you deny me, I'll deny you. And so, Lord, what a joy it is to express the hidden faith of our life in a public way, saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and salvation to all who believe, and I believe. So as we sing this hymn of invitation, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would move among us. We pray in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. What a great expression of our heart's desire. You sing this today. Let's sing it with a heart that certainly means it. If you'd like to make a decision, come now while we sing. God calls. Help.
Am I to turn it over to you, David? Okay. I do have a few more things I'd like to say. You know, I, I, I want to give you a departing verse. I think David's going to say some things and maybe um, recognize us as if we haven't been recognized already. But to anyhow, you remember when the Apostle Paul's headed to Rome, he meets with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. It's a great passage of Scripture. They meet down at Miletus. And he said to the elders, Now, brother, I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And I'm just telling you, church, I commit you to God in the word of his grace. It will build you up, for we have an inheritance which is set apart by the work of our Savior.